Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholarship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Hello and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholarship. We have a very uh, special double episode for you guys today. We're talking about two movies today. Uh, and we have a guest joining us, Dr. Spencer Olmsted. And uh, Dr. Olmsted is an associate professor at the University of Tennessee and also the director of graduate studies and the co-director of the Wellbeing in Adolescents and Emerging Adults Laboratory. Dr. Olmsted, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity to visit with you in your podcast today. Oh, thank you very much. We're uh, equally, if not more grateful. I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, so before we, or we're going to be talking about uh, two movies, like I said, we're going to be talking about the movie No Strings Attached and the movie Friends with Benefits, uh, mostly because they're the mostly the exact same movie, just and released in the same year, just with some different actors and some different personalities thrown in there. Um, but Dr. Olson, why don't you give a quick little overview in terms of your research, what you're passionate about, and um, I think we'll all see kind of how it relates to these movies. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, I really, uh, my main research focuses on um, young adults, romantic and sexual relationships. And for the last several years, I've become uh, very interested in understanding uh, the casual sex relationships and experiences and how that's uh, related to uh, young adults' well-being, and um, I'm not exactly quite sure how I became involved in this line of research. I think um, when I was a doctoral student, I uh, had the opportunity to work with uh, Dr. Frank Fincham and Kay Pasley at Florida State, and he was doing some amazing research on uh, relationship education for young adults, and he happened to also be studying uh, hookups, and um, and so that just seemed very intriguing to me to sort of understand what those experiences were like, and I'd never really had uh, any exposure to that um, up to that point, and uh, and I was particularly at least, at least initially interested in those experiences among young men. And so I sort of, because uh, no one at that point had really looked specifically at the young men because there are obvious stereotypes mm -hmm. about uh, young men and their interest in and involvement in sex, whether it's committed or casual, but mostly the focus has been on casual mm -hmm. uh, sex relationships and hooking up. And, and so I sort of follow that that path and uh, now have looked more at both men and women and um, and I'm particularly intrigued by uh, young adults because they are in an interesting stage in their lives uh, one where they're they have increased autonomy the ability to make their own decisions and how they go about making those decisions and sort of the, the influences on those decisions was interesting to me. But also, um, you know, we are meaning-making people. And 
we attach meaning to our experiences. And so I, I recently started to consider how, what, what's the meaning that young adults attach to their, their casual sex experiences and their mm. expectations around commitment. So yeah, kind of taking it away from that, like one-to-one, when this happens, this is the result and really thinking about how people make me different meanings out of maybe a similar experience and how that might affect well-being and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I haven't, All right, so, I haven't seen oh, uh, I haven't seen any either of these movies, but as you were talking about like increased autonomy, I was just thinking about uh, you know at this age age range autonomy increases, and also just that uh, and I guess it varies individual by individual, but like thinking about with that increased autonomy, how much does um, our, also our own idea of taking responsibility for that autonomy that increases, and so. Mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I haven't seen these movies and I'm curious to see if it ever plays out to where like someone may make a good or bad decision and, you know, time increases, but not yet ready to take responsibility for that. I don't mm-hmm. know. Just uh, something that popped in my head as you were speaking about um, your research interest in just that area age range. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because when we think about uh, these two particular movies, um, they both seem to be kind of taking things on the fly, you know, and, and a, a, an opportunity perhaps presents itself to become engaged in what initially seems like carefree and commitment-free sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say sex, I'm talking about in these two movies, in particular, heterosexual intercourse. And... Um, and they're just kind of, uh, it's ambiguous and they're kind of making up the rules on the fly and Hey, let's, it seems sort of like a natural thing. And so let's just do this and see what happens. And, <laughs> uh, and I think sometimes it's that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. So let's get into the, uh, two movies. So, um, like I said, they both came out in the same year. Uh, both very much of the same kind of like uh, uh, plot. Um, did you see these when they first came out? Were you already kind of doing this research when they came out? Like, what was your kind of relationship when these movies came out? Uh, uh, remind me of the year. <laughs> I was 2011. 2011. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I was already sort of at that point uh, interested in this particular research uh and had maybe published a couple papers on on this and um yeah i i I think it was intriguing to me from both uh you know i'm a big fan of like justin timberlake i really enjoy his music but also (laughs) i think he's he's a fun actor and uh, some of the other ones. I'm not a big Ashton Kutcher fan, but uh, but I uh, I really was interested to see how, um, based on what I had learned from research and reading other scholars' research in this particular area, how what Hollywood portrayed, uh, how that sort of seemed to fit with what we what initially and now now by you know, 2019, this area of research has just exploded. But at least initially, and it's been studied for a long time, but initially there was, there wasn't quite as much. And so, yeah. 
yeah, from a, from a consumer standpoint, yeah, you know, I enjoy those kinds of movies. But uh, from a researcher standpoint, I wanted to sort of try and make sense of what Hollywood was trying to say about this stuff. I never know if, um, you know, doing this research and things like that ruins or makes movie experiences better because <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm always kind of going in with like both wearing both hats of like, I really want to enjoy this movie, but I'm also curious what they're going to do with this and what messages they're going to send. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> my wife um, doesn't always enjoy watching movies. with me. <laughs> That's not real. That doesn't really happen. No one ever does that anymore. This is old news, you know, kind of. <laughs> Quiet, I'm trying to enjoy the movie. I'm ruining this for me. <laughs> That's really funny. So do you have a, a favorite of the two movies? You know, I, so I, I like the Friends with Benefits movie. Uh, and one of the things that I think... I'm more drawn to that movie is because of the on the fly uh, discussion that is, let's see, it's Mila Kunis and uh, Justin Timberlake. And when they sort of stumble into this opportunity to be sexually involved with each other as they're undressing, you know, getting ready to engage in sexual activity, they're talking about, yeah the rules, you know, and their likes and dislikes, which uh, just, uh, you know, um, I thought that was interesting that that they, they were trying to have some level of intentionality about, you know, navigating the experience while at the same time clearly being driven by, you know, sexual desire and, yeah. Yeah, that was what's most striking to me about this relationship is just like their communication was so like open about what they liked and disliked. And I wondered if part of that was because it was um, kind of like without the same like strings attached or whatever in this relationship, it was more casual. It wasn't, ha didn't have the same um, potential for someone like leaving you as in a romantic relationship. I don't know if that was part of it, but like their ability to kind of like talk to each other about likes and dislikes and kind of be real about it. And like, even in, um, I was, I, even in kind of like kind of the in-between parts or um, when they were kind of like uh, like the actual sex that was kind of portrayed and the things they would talk about was like a lot more kind of like um, real compared to like other movies where like they talked about like the Chinese fire drill in terms of like changing positions and stuff <laughs> like that versus like and you don't see that in other movies just because it would be awkward to film like in a way that like makes it look whatever they're trying to go for beautiful or whatever but i just kind of like the realness to like their communication and their like sexual relationship I thought that was interesting yeah i think i think they did a good job sort of portraying the friendship aspect which is what sure. friend, friends with benefits are i mean that's it's, mm -hmm. it's an, intended to to start out as a friendship and and then trying to add if they can um sexual component to their relationship and uh, and trying to navigate, you know, how how do we maintain this friendship while including uh, sexual activity? And that seems to be a much more of a rule based. And and the research supports that idea that you know, uh, roughly about half uh, tend to talk about what the rules of the relationship are and actually communicate about it. 
Um, but half of them don't. Yeah, that's the other half of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah, I think that was something that I think both movies kind of had a rule setting situation. I think the biggest difference that I noticed between the two is that it was very clear that um, I don't remember their character's name. I'm just going to call by the act. Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis were like friends. And it was not very clear because Ashton Kutcher was pretty clearly interested in more than friendship, I think, with Natalie Portman's character. And I think that was kind of where they differentiated a lot in terms of like the rule setting mm-hmm. aspect of it. Like, yes, they still set rules, but like there was still like this like very clear like intention that Ashton Kutcher's character seemed to have. Yeah, uh, which is um, sort of uh, contrary to sort of what the uh general expectations are yeah uh, which, which i actually liked about that movie same yeah it um seemed to address more sort of the sexual double standard and that women have the freedom to choose with regards to their sexual involvement their sexual activity and it's not always women that are wanting the relationship that men also are interested in uh, committed sexual activity as well. Yeah, it was a good flip of the script of the gender roles because Natalie Portman's character is supposed to be kind of cold and not interested in relationships and kind of not, that's not like part of her thing. And it's kind of like stereotypically not things associated with being feminine. Whereas like Ashton Kutcher was very much very relationship driven in general. It seemed like that was kind of what his kind of overall vibe was, you know, bringing the balloon to her work, <laughs> which is just a terrible, like I can't think of any situation where that's a good move to do, even if she's not interested or she is interested, but um, just some of the things that he would kind of do is kind of clear he was interested in more. And it was kind of fun to see that um, that script flip in terms of like, how we expect it to look from stereotypes and things like that. Yeah, I agree. You know, you bring up an interesting thing too that that I saw across these two movies, which, which again, it's a Hollywood portrayal, but I found particularly problematic. And, mm-hmm. you know, something that we need to learn more about is that it, in both movies, um, both the men and women began these relationships because... Uh, they uh, something was wrong with them, right? They talk yeah. about how messed up they are and how they suck at relationships and how uh, they're emotionally damaged or emotionally unavailable, and mm-hmm. and and it sort of pathologizes individuals who engage in sort of casual sexual experiences, and that well. They're uh, they're only doing this because they're not good at relationships, right. or because there's something wrong with them emotionally or romantically, and uh, and I find that particularly problematic because I don't think that's the case. Of course, I don't have the research myself to to back that up. That would be an interesting sort of thing to pursue. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't because of how common those experiences are. I I find it hard to believe that that all people who engage in these experiences have something wrong with them, and that's why they're choosing this path right. as others. Yeah, I think it's a really good point because that is a very strong theme, especially I'm thinking of Friends with Benefits, but 
Uh, it was part of No Strings Attached to you, but that also, side note, there is no one who can say I'm emotionally unavailable more charming than Justin Timberlake. Like, <laughs> how do you say that in a charming way? Like, how yeah. you, I was like, man, that, that works. How does that work? Anyway, but I think it's a really good point because the portrayal is really setting it up as like it's a way to fill a void. And like for Friends with Benefits specifically, it was this was a way for them to kind of like pursue these kind of like romantic feelings without having to like really like engage in a romantic way because they they were emotionally unavailable or couldn't. They didn't have the ability to do that. So they needed to gain that over time. And while they were unable to, they were doing this casual thing. Yeah. I think I think that one of the more realistic aspects as opposed to this sort of pathologizing people who engage in these experiences is that it was a matter of convenience. You know, it's kind yeah. of part of the life course stage and the research does seem to support that, that, that young adults, they've got a lot on their plate and they're trying to, many of them are uh, fully engaged in careers or they are uh, full-time students and they've got other activities they're preparing they're preparing essentially for life and and relationships take time and they take work and effort and energy and emotion yeah and 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 as a part of the this life course stage in young adulthood is that well it's it's going to be easier to meet this sexual need Mm-hmm. by you know not getting involved in the messy stuff the stuff that's right. intensive i can and so it is a matter of convenience and that and that was part of these movies that i did think was interesting and seemed more realistic that it's that it's about hey i'm busy with life and i, I you know at some point i'll get into a relationship but for now i just need to have my sexual needs met yeah, and I think that was what you could really see from Natalie Portman's character too, right? Because she was in med school or an intern or at some level of like becoming a doctor. I don't remember exactly where she was. Maybe she already was a doctor. I honestly don't remember. Um, and she didn't seem to have any time at all for kind of personal life stuff. And this was like a like a very easy way for her to like be able to like achieve those needs mm-hmm. that she had. Yeah, and 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 so. So that seemed to make more sense to me uh, yeah. as far as, as, uh, as a matter of convenience. That was much more plausible. I thought, yeah, Hollywood probably got that part of it, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's good that we acknowledge both, right? I think it's really easy to go in and pick out all the things they do wrong. And like part of it's just because like the way movies are, you have to kind of like take shortcuts and make things dramatic for the sake of uh, making them dramatic so people will watch but like it's good when they we can pick up on the things they do well too yeah yeah and, and in that vein i thought also and this is consistent with some of the research in these two areas is the role of alcohol i mean alcohol yeah. was a, a present a prevalent factor when making decisions i mean when i think of the friends with benefits they were both drinking alcohol and that they weren't, you know, blackout drunk or anything like that, but they were certainly were having a few drinks and, and, and that, that's a factor less so in friends with benefits. Uh, the research shows that the alcohol is less involved in friends with benefits relations, but more in like hookups or one night stands. And, and that's, 
And that seemed to come through quite a bit with the No Strings Attached movie mm-hmm. was how alcohol, you know, Ashton Kutcher, after uh, he finds out about his, his dad being involved with his ex-girlfriend, uh, <laughs> he, go, he goes and essentially gets wasted and he yeah. tries to try, tries to find someone to have sex with him. I believe he texts every girl on his phone. Is that is that his move? <laughs> yes. And uh, and he gets shut down, and eventually, yeah, I guess that's how he ends up at uh, Natalie Portman's apartment, is because he was uh, an emotional wreck from that experience, but also uh, extremely inebriated. So yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of important to think about as uh, in the. Um how we view hookups kind of in, especially in, I, I would associate a lot with like college culture and some of the research I've done, I haven't done a ton, a ton, but I know that a lot of the like college environment, alcohol, kind of like the, the almost the um, cultural understanding of the interplay of alcohol and hooking up in college, kind of like it's almost an expectation at times or that, it, that they all go together in some way. Yeah, they they are uh, highly correlated with each other. Both uh, drinking alcohol generally, you know, at like certain times, a certain number of times per month, but also during the experience. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's a that's a factor, of course, to to take into consideration. Of course, we know alcohol influences decision making. And, uh, and so, yeah, I thought that, that those seemed realistic. What I liked about these two movies too, was that these were not, um, college students. Yeah. They had, they had careers, they, or they were at least early in their careers and, um, and not on a college campus. And that's that's one of the things that we really seem to be missing is understanding the experiences of those who are maybe a little bit further along in, in young adulthood, you maybe their late twenties, but still not married, mm-hmm. and uh, or maybe those in their late teens, early twenties who aren't who aren't going to college and what right. their experiences are like as well. Yeah, I was thinking that too because they they you know. Um, Friends with Benefits, they make a joke that it feels college-y, right? That they're doing casual sex. And it, we have this association between like casual sex and college. But it would be interesting to know for those who don't go to college or for those who might be a little older after college, you know, what that looks like and how it might be different. Because I imagine it would, it, would have, it would come with different meanings like you talked about earlier, right? It's not just that the hookup happened. It's the meanings they make around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Dr. Kristen Anders and I did some uh, research just on these experiences and compared those who were at college and not at college. And mm-hmm. actually, their their experiences they did vary some, but they were very similar. And so that that gives us a little bit of confidence that well, at least if we're studying college students, it's mm-hmm. sort of similar. Uh, yeah, it's not actually, way off. Yeah, some nuances, some things that we need to understand. Um, that differ, but, but they they, they might be more similar than we think. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause I, I would, in my head, I would think like, Oh, college would be so different because of just you know, the way you're living and kind of that 
point in your life where you not really have the same amount of responsibilities maybe, but it is interesting that kind of a similar for college and non-college attending. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I kind of thought about in terms of watching this movie uh, was, you know, it's, it's, it's a rom-com. So it has to follow this kind of like same structure of like, things are going really well something bad happens and then they make up and become a couple. It's <laughs> so like, you know, that's going to, you know, that's kind of like how it's going to fall in. Um, but I was kind of curious in terms of reflecting on, for you reflecting on that process for them uh, and what that looks like going from like, Oh, this is great. Everyone's having a good time to jealousy creeping in a little bit slash things not working out to like being in a relationship and what you thought of the two different movies. Cause they had a little bit of different way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and this is um, one opportunity to to learn more is kind of finding out what the the entire process looks like across these experiences because we don't we don't know a lot about that. Right. Um, what I thought was interesting, uh, but one thing that we do know about, and I think the common vernacular is catching feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that happened in both of these movies at, at, at a certain point, one or both sort of had these romantic feelings for the other. And they said, oh, well, we, we need to stop if we're having these. We can't have romantic feelings. I can't begin to start to feel committed towards you. And the solution in both movies, which I thought was interesting, was go have sex with other people. If yeah. you go have sex with other people, then it will maybe get rid of these feelings. And clearly it didn't, like you said, it's got to follow the, we all knew from the beginning how this movie was going to end. I mean, right. it's got has to end with this sort of romantic connection and experience. But, but I, I, you know, I don't know that I'm convinced that, that this is the process that this follows. I mean, Hollywood yeah. kind of told us what this is supposed to look like and, and, but, uh, you know, I, I think it, that might be one potential solution. You know, if you go be sexual with other people, then, then uh, your romantic feelings will start to go away. Um, but clearly that wasn't the case. <laughs> uh, the other thing, too, is both movies end sort of in dramatic fashion, as we might expect them to. And they <laughs> right, yeah. A couple in both. Um, that happens maybe half the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the other half the time, they, they go their separate ways. And we need to feel good at the end of these movies. So, of course, yes, uh, you know, they're, they have these romantic uh, feelings and connections. And, hey, let's, let's be a couple now and be committed to each other. Um, but we don't know a lot about how, what does that look like afterwards? for those that don't. And, and, and if we're taking a Hollywood perspective, then they might follow a similar pattern into their next relation. Oh, well, I'm not good at relationships. And so right. I need another casual sex experience. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm thinking about one particular study though, um, that was done by, uh, I want to say, Quirk, Owen, and Fincham, but maybe not. Uh, maybe it was just Owen and Fincham, but they studied, they compared 
those who started romantic relationships from a friends with benefits relationship and those who just started sort of a more traditional and they did not have dramatic differences in terms of their relationship functioning. Interesting. Yeah. I think that would play against some of the narratives we have about casual sex, right? Like people who start that not starting in the right place or something like that, but it's interesting that there's some evidence they kind of end up in similar places. Well, and, you know, we would expect if we believe what Hollywood's portrayal was, is that, well, if they're both damaged in some way, if they both have difficulty being emotionally connected or available or they're commitment phobes, then we wouldn't expect their relationships to last. We would expect at some point that, that you know, how, how this movie played out a year from now we might expect them to be broken up because of what they're bringing to the relationship. Yeah. Although if we're taking Hollywood rules, love conquers all. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they, eventually they're, they're married and, you know, and, and go both very highly successful and yeah. And uh, <laughs> going on and leading perfect lives. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, oh, shoot. I, Oh, and I was going to mention, you know, something kind of interesting, and this is from a study unpublished so far, so don't, you know, it's not peer-reviewed, but it was from interviews about hooking up, and a lot of, like, the general consensus from people that were talking were kind of like, oh, friends with benefits and no strings attached never works out. Like, people always end up catching feelings, and then people never end up in relationships that work. That was kind of like the prevailing narrative. But very in a very funny, like about, I wouldn't say half of them, but a lot of them were in relationships, started relationships from that situation. So they're simultaneously saying that never happens and also saying that it happened to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, and I think that, I, I think that the term that we use there is a pluralistic ignorance, right? So we expect right. general population to be different or what happens to them does not apply to me. Right. And uh, so I'm very different from them. Of course, it worked out for me, but it doesn't work out for anyone else. So mm. I'm special in some way. <laughs> yeah, but it says something. It says something about how even college students who might engage in this behavior even view casual sex. They kind of view it as a way of like, or not a legitimate way of starting a relationship, or kind of like. I, can't think of the right words, but they view it in a way that's almost kind of negative, even if they've had positive experiences. Right. Yeah. And, and, and this is where that meaning making comes out because looking back, they might, if they're now successfully in a committed relationship, they might make different meanings looking back of how their relationship started, what their yeah. relationship experience was like versus had it not worked out oh well this was just sort of a a fling or a, a you know a couple times experience that you know and of course it didn't work out sort of a thing right. that's what that's what's so intriguing about meanings because we define situations based off of a number of factors of course experiences right. play a part in that but we have also the ability to adjust meanings from past experiences as well yeah um humans so, have an incredible capability of like rationalizing things yeah so. <laughs> yeah um one of the 
one of the things that struck me about these two movies, again, that we don't know a lot about, that I personally would like to know more, is how families come to bear on these experiences. Yeah. In both movies, families were involved, parents in some way. Um, uh, and both, uh, they seem to be cool with the circumstances and supportive of what they were doing and, and, and perhaps even encouraging. Um, but we don't know, we don't know a lot about what that communication looks like and how parents or other family members sort of validate those experiences from a Hollywood standpoint. Of course, they're very supportive, and these are young adults who are making their own decisions, and we have to respect that. I, I've got to believe somewhere along the way that there are parents who are not validating of these things. Right, yeah. Don't support that, and, and siblings who, you know, don't encourage that, but we don't know a lot about that. And Yeah. So I'd like to, I, I'd be very interested to know more about what those conversations look like. Mm -hmm. and um, how they come to bear on then the decisions that these young adults are making. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that before because the families in the um, movie were either like all about the casual sex relationship or like encouraging them to like date, like trying to like push them like closer together. It's like, no, you're doing this because you're in love with each other. Go further. And I don't know if a lot of people would have that same response that they found out their child or their brother or sister was kind of like in a casual sex relationship and thinking about going further or whatever the case was. Yes. Uh, one, one sort of study that I did think of that uh, Dr. Kristen Anders has done looked at sort of the sexual expectations and fears of um, college freshmen and family was intricately involved in helping to develop those expectations. Yeah. And so it just in that way, we could expect that, you know, families would either uh, help support or encourage uh, individual decision-making and, Hey, you're, you're a young adult. And you, you need to go make these decisions for yourselves or they might uh, discourage them or, or provide recommendations for, you know, maybe how to be safe, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, pa parents and family still continue to be involved. I mean, there are important contexts to consider that we just, I think are a little bit behind on. Yeah. That's a good point. I want to also mention that it sounds like that that might be a, a good call for it, for any viewers interested in uh doing some research so yeah <laughs> it sounds like a you know if it would be a research team or a couple of scholars who want to work with you on that could be a good opportunity so definitely reach out there you go there you go yeah and it's so it's so understudied i mean we don't even know know what that what that would look like. I mean, we don't even know to what extent do young adults even talk about these experiences with their parents still, mm -hmm. or is this sort of a, you know, no, we don't talk about that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, one of the other things um, that was interesting to, to me in these movies, of course, 
uh, Hollywood wants to provide entertainment, else these movies would flop and then they would stop making them. <laughs> For sure. Um, and, and, but it also serves as an opportunity to normalize these experiences. And um, and we know that that casual sex relationships are are, are relatively normative. I mm -hmm. uh, just thinking of some 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 of the findings say that you know typically above half half of young adults you know engage in hookups or casual sex or whatever term you want to apply to that you know non committed sexual activity you know probably at least once if not more than that but the the potential problem that i see with that is is that it it uh, it goes potentially towards a stereotype that this is that all young adults are this way and 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 that's one of the the reasons that i started to pursue trying to understand the meanings for sex and commitment and how those two things are connected because because it is I'm trying to understand well are these stereotypes are they like are they consistent with reality right uh, and some of the research that i've done says well no in fact um many many uh, over half of the of the young men and young women in the studies that i've done still hold a connection between sexual activity and commitment. And typically they organize that in terms of commitment first and then sexual activity, mm. which tends to get lost in the media, of course, because it's not quite as sensational, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, go ahead. Oh. I was just going to say, this movie kind of came out before some of the dating apps got really popular. And I think that's kind of similar what you're saying is kind of similar to how people view dating apps versus sometimes how they're used in like in practice. I think people have this kind of view of Tinder and uh, other kind of dating apps as being like for hookups or for casual situations. And it, it isn't always the case. And I, it, it, you know, I think a lot, some of the research has said that a lot of like a majority of people use that for, you know, non-casual situations and kind of like are actually like, even though the stereotype around these things is that young adults are using it for sex the reality is that something like working towards commitment and then like sexual relationship, maybe after commitment or working towards committed relationships seems to be like, what a lot of people are more using them for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, uh, there is some research that, that supports the idea that I think this is Timmerman's research that, that although, I mean, admittedly young adults and maybe even beyond young adults, use tinder as sort of a hookup app uh that's only about half the other half like genuinely are very interested in in using this to to meet potential romantic partners mm -hmm. uh but you know when you have the paired association between tinder and casual sex then then that that piece is lost i mean there are still yeah. Uh, many who would prefer not to be involved in casual sex relationships and mm. would like to genuinely use online dating and dating apps as a means to 
really uh, make real connections with others. Certainly. And this is even true. I read a study on Grinder, which is uh, for men who have sex with men and men who have sex with men. And it was really like that one, I think is the most stereotypical hookup. Like you get on Grinder to hook up, but a very large chunk of men on Grinder were looking for other men to have like committed relationships with. And it's not the kind of stereotype necessarily that people think in terms of like uh, men who use Grinder. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and so all this is, it tends to be problematic because of uh, everyone just sort of seems to get lumped together. And, yeah. uh, and, and then there's this big idea that, well, young adults are just mostly interested in uh, commitment pre-sex and we should, we should just sort of expect that of them. And they even research shows sort of expect that of each other. Yeah. But they don't expect it for themselves. And, yeah. And when you're making those expectations, that could lead into a lot of misunderstandings. And if you're not communicating about it, it could get into a lot of uh, difficulties. If you're not, if you kind of have these expectations of what other people are like, uh, what they want or what that they want the same thing you want, and you're not communicating what you want to them, or you're not asking them what they want, it can really start to like, cause some issues. And that's one of the things about friends with benefits, like we talked about earlier, that was really good. They were really upfront about what they wanted and what they liked and all those things and went from this casual relationship, but like were really clear about their expectations and what they wanted and didn't kind of fall into that assumption that I think other uh, relationships might fall into. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I also thought a lot about the, we talked about family a little bit earlier, but I was also thinking about the friends situation. And that was kind of interesting to me as kind of how their friends interact with them. And this kind of plays off what you're saying in terms of like how some young adults or other adults view other young adults and kind of like the advice that was given from friends and uh, Woody Harrelson being kind of like the main friend for Justin Timberlake in the first one. And then, uh, um, I don't remember the other guy in the second one with the friends were, but there was a lot of like, kind of like discussions with friends about the relationship and what they should do and things like that. So did you have any kind of impressions or takeaways from the advice the friends were giving and any reactions to that? Well, I, yeah, I, so I did notice that as well. And it's, and it, it's sort of consistent with the, the, the family and yeah. they're supportive and, and encouraging them to uh, to kind of dive in headfirst into these experiences. And um, what's interesting, at least in these particular, so if you were just to watch these movies and generalize them to everyone's experiences, you would expect that, oh, well, um, uh, young adults is sort of, talk about these experiences with their friends and at least in the friends with benefits literature it suggests that actually there tend to be strong rules about divulging these relationships to other people Interesting. You know, probably yeah. about half of them say uh, we keep this to ourselves because they have shared friend groups yeah in in, in the friends with benefits movie they they didn't, and so they're having these conversations with each other. But, but, uh, but the studies seem to suggest that when friends start then a friends with benefits relationship, usually they 
they have a mutual group of friends and they don't want their friends to know that they're also engaging in sexual activity. <laughs> and so That's they hide thing. or they make rules about uh, seeing each other and what they can and can't do or discuss when they're in the context of their uh, friend relationships, you know, in the uh, No Strings Attached movie, uh, also their friends are distinct. Mm -hmm. And so they each are able to talk openly and freely about their their friends. We do, and the the literature on hooking up sort of seems to indicate that um, they do talk more uh, openly about that with their friends. Gotcha. Uh, because they're not typically they're not shared friendship groups. Right. And. Uh, and they receive advice freely about that. But <laughs> the interesting thing is, too, um, and this is not consistent with the No Strings Attached movie, is that uh, the, the women, um, uh, the research says that women tend to talk a little bit more about their uh, the relationship experiences mm -hmm. about that in more detail than perhaps the that the men do about what they're experiencing it's just like oh i hooked up with so-and-so last night high five sort of a thing right yeah um but certainly there's more to be gleaned about that is what are the conversations that friends are having with each other about their experiences we know, we do know that they're talking about it but are there rules about it are there uh meanings attached to that etc yeah, that's really cool. I actually didn't know the um, the talking with friends part. That's really interesting. Is there any differences between the two groups that, you know, the about half that, you know, would talk about their friends with benefit and the one that didn't? Was there any, like, differences between the two groups or you don't remember putting you on the spot? Yeah, this was, I don't know if there were statistical analyses. I think this was more gotcha. of one of those early qualitative studies that gotcha, just gotcha, trying gotcha. to understand what what is, what's the friends with benefits uh, roles you know, yeah. and uh, their experiences with that. So some of them do, some of them don't. Um, and those that do explicitly try and state rules about that. Right. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So you can talk about this from kind of research mind, or you can talk about this just as someone who watched the two movies and has opinions about people. So where do you see the two relationships going? Do you, how do you, do you see them being successful or do you see them not being so slow? What are your kind of impressions of them as couples and, and then what their future looks like? Um, well, <clears throat> I don't know that I could speak of it from sort of a research standpoint, because we don't we don't know a lot about the the stability or the longevity of of relationships that start from sort of ca more casual sex encounters. Mm -hmm. um, only in the sense that I can think of one study that examined um, that examined when first sex happened in a beginning new relationship. And those who delayed longer tended to have more stable relationships over time. Gotcha. Uh, compared to compared to those who I think, and I could be wrong, but 
began sexual activity within the first 24 hours or on the first date or something like that. Gotcha. So, so we do know that they may potentially be a little bit less stable, but I mean, clearly uh, from a Hollywood standpoint, and they designed it to be this way, all, <laughs> all, all four people in their relationships, they have issues, right? Mm-hmm. Things that they're dealing with. And so, uh, and so we'd expect in order for these relationships to be successful, that they're, they're going to have to work through some things, not only in individual level, you know, struggles with commitment or, um, uh, but also their family dynamics and experiences mm-hmm. um, and how that is going to influence the longevity of their relationship over time. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I have any predictions other than, you know, in order for them to be successful, they're going to have to, I'm thinking more about uh, Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher yeah. It seemed like they had less uh, meaningful discussions about who they were as individuals and what their experiences yeah. were like in, in uh, the past romantic relationships. We do know that, that, that those experiences uh, exert an influence on their current relationships. And For sure. So if I were to make a prediction, the ones that are going to probably struggle more would, would have been those in the no strings attached as compared to the friends with benefits. And mainly because importantly, there was a friendship initially established. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. There's more of a foundation in the friends with benefits movie where they had that friendship for a long time beforehand. And I just always liked, um, movies and TV shows where they're friends first and kind of have an established friendship and you can see a, a, a positive kind of relationship that they can have mm-hmm. versus like, it seemed like in No Strings Attached, obviously it wasn't always like this, but it was definitely uh, Ashton Kutcher was chasing Natalie Portman for a lot of the movie. It was very, when Harry met Sally too, right? They like kept meeting in different situations and um, things like that. So I think there's a little bit more um, Hollywood magic at play with new strings or no strings attached, as opposed to like solid foundational pieces that they could like build on. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, I'm just thinking of the one study, um, that did look at and compare, uh, you know, sort of more traditionally formed romantic relationships and those that started with friends with benefits and seemed to indicate that, that, they were more similar than, yeah. than different. Uh, but we don't know a lot about those that start from one night stands or hookups or, you know, sort of things like that. Right. Be, that would be also another opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> All these research ideas coming out mm-hmm. of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I do think one interesting thing, and I'll just bring this up as I'm thinking about it. Um, is some of the early literature on friends with benefits relationships sort of seem to talk about this idea that uh, men and women seem to differ in what they wanted for the friends with benefits relationship. So for the, for the men, they seem to 
seem to, if, given the choice to become just friends again without the sexual component or to uh, keep things the same or to form a romantic relationship, they, they overwhelmingly wanted to keep things the way that they were. Yeah. But for the, for the women, they didn't. They were much more wanted to either end the sex component of their friendship or they wanted to form a romantic relationship. So, so I, I thought those, that's sort of interesting when we're thinking about you know, heterosexual friends with benefits relationships is that men and, men and women may be ascribing different meanings to their experiences and uh, want something maybe differently. And I don't know that they talk about that that much, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting component to the Friends with Benefits movie is that they they did talk about uh, ending it. They did talk about keeping it. They did talk about, you know, eventually what sort of implications it had for the relationship if they uh, did move into sort of a committed context of course both movies yeah. they did yeah and i think i agree with you that because of friends with benefits they talked more even about like the the ending it part seemed more much more of a conversation than a reactive kind of like jealousy thing that i think happened with no strings attached where it sounds like friends with benefits like Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis really talked about like what that would look like, and they kind of ended it more mutually than it seemed like in the other situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, we we don't know a lot about across these different experiences, which right. uh, and the longevity of these if they do form romantic relationships. Then I think the other thing to keep in mind here that I think has come to the or more recently is the diverse pathways to relationship formation have grown the and I think that's probably influenced um, to a large extent by technology right that, for sure that we live in a day and age where almost everyone has a smartphone almost everyone has the opportunity to connect with someone through social media or worldwide and so before, you know, it was who, who lives in your neighborhood or in your community. And right. but now, now we have a lot more opportunities. And so with, with, with more opportunities comes the potential for more ambiguity. For and sure. People uh, making their own paths to relationship formation. And so these are maybe two of a whole myriad of ways that individuals can form romantic relationships um, so so I, I i think just forecasting for the future is, is as online presence continues to grow that it will become increasingly complicated yeah and um and opportunities will continue to grow and we as social science researchers will consistently be behind <laughs> in trying to understand these. For sure. I, 
yeah, I thought about, for example, with a, I remember the first time I heard in a classroom the term Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was, and I was so intrigued by that. I'm like, this, whoa, this is a whole new term. You know, I got really excited about it. And then like two semesters later, and I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to study this. You know, how is this different from all these other experiences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two semesters later, they're like, oh, yeah, that's just a joke. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> like, how do how do we keep up with this this constant changes yeah. to relationships and sex? I mean, we will always be behind one yeah, step. Terms behind. change so much. Yeah, get published or, you know, even under review, it's it's old hat, right? It's yeah. We've moved on to something else, bigger, better, different. <laughs> cuffing season was the one for me. Someone was explaining cuffing season to me and I had no idea what it was. That was me. <laughs> no, no. It was a, it was a, but it was the teenager used the term <laughs> cuffing season or said something about cuff, so it was something wanting to cuff them. And I was like, that sounds terrible. Like that's, it sounded like something like violent or something like. I was like, do I need to make a report here? And then like the more they talked, the more I figured it out. But then yeah, Denzel explained to me what cuffing season <laughs> What is that? I've not heard of that. Yeah, so it's basically cuffing season is like our natural human, uh, I guess, quote unquote, not necessarily mating season, but it's whenever we reach out for other people. So it's typically during our colder months. So November through about March or so where we want to settle down with someone, get into a relationship, have someone close and tight during those cold seasons when we can't get outside and enjoy things. And then typically cuffing season ends when it starts getting warmer outside and people can go out and have a good time. And so we're at the end of cuffing season right now. Do their own thing. Yeah. (laughs) Just ending now. So, yeah. So if that's cuffing season, I'm curious what the other season is. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but uh, yeah, they don't have a name for it yet. Yeah, well, maybe it's, yours is the opportunity to give a name for it. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. If you have yeah. suggestions, uh, tweet us at Relevate Podcast or email us at relevatepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear suggestions for what the opposite of cuffing season is. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if there's already something that's a name yeah, maybe, for it, because like no, God of already exists. Right? Like we were saying, we're probably a step, two steps behind. So, yeah, yeah, I remember um, uh, when I first heard about the term "just talking," yeah. and you know, and I'm like, well, "What is that?" And you know, Scott Sibley has has started to do some work in that particular area, and um, and that's. That is just one sort of additional thing, piece to the puzzle that technology has added that's made things far more ambiguous than they used to be. And uh, and then I also uh, was reading an article in USA Today about Gatsby. <laughs> you know, just, I've never heard this one. Yeah, I've so heard I this. It's sort of, um, and the art, I don't know if they had any data to back it up but i'd have to go back and look i'm sure i saved it somewhere because it's very interesting so it had to do with you know like the the great gatsby and gatsby through these big parties in order to get the attention of the woman that he was particularly interested in and and so what the equivalent of uh what 
the great Gatsby was doing today is young adults in their social media presence do something flashy or attractive. They, they post a picture or some other thing, uh, not just to specifically get the attention of one particular individual, Uh but they demonstrate that for all to see a sort of, uh, I'm hoping that I can dazzle. I can, get the attention, the attraction of this one particular person. And that's, and I was like, oh my goodness. So, so help me understand. So help me understand. So like these posts don't even necessarily have to be related to that specific person, but it's more so whatever it is to get that person's attention. Yeah. That, that's what they seem to indicate was, you know, kind of pulling out all the stops. I'm going to be as flashy and interesting. I've got to do something above and beyond to get this, just this particular person's attention. So it's like peacocks and tail feathers, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) That's Uh, where my head went with that, but yeah. (laughs) But the interesting thing is, I'm sure if I went to go do a study and put it through the IRB, by the time I got to collecting data, that would have come and gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Gatsby. funny. Gatsbying, yeah. Changes so rapidly. Um, yeah. And the best part is if someone listens to this a year from now, they're going to have no idea what we're talking about. Right? <laughs> You're like, what is that? We're like, what are these grandpas talking about? <laughs> well, who, who knows? I, I just, uh, on an airplane, I started to watch the movie Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how far away we are from, you know, something like that, you know, with the virtual reality. I mean, we're starting to see that more and more. And, and of course, the, the Internet has provided us access to any myriad of people who can get on the World Wide Web to, to uh, form some sort of connection or relationship. And, and just by doing being someone else online creates all kinds of new complexities and opportunities. I mean, I remember reading, uh, uh, in the, I hope this is okay. I'm sort of venturing into other areas here, but no, you're good. I remember reading an article about, um, a couple who had never met in real life, got married through the game world of Warcraft. Interesting. And and so they got married in World of Warcraft, their online personas in that particular, and then they met up and got married in real life. Interesting. Uh, and I was just, you know, it just kind of, things are changing. They're rapidly change, changing, they're growing, the opportunities grow there. And like I said earlier, that that lays, adds layers of complexity Yeah. Uh, when it comes to non-committed and committed uh, relationships, you know. Yeah, it takes more communication to kind of like get through that complexity for sure. It reminds me there's a um, so I really love the show Catfish. One of the things that like really um, fascinated me was there was one particular episode, I think it was season two, where this couple have been talking online for like five years, and then they go and meet, and it's all great. Like they, it's this person, there was this person they thought they were talking to. They introduced to the family and everything, and then at the epilogue at the very end, so we have no context for this, but she went down to visit him again, like a couple of weeks later. Left after two days, and they didn't talk again. So they talked for five years, 
they met once and it all went well. And then when they like spent time with each other alone, like without the TV cameras and everyone else there, they stopped. They after two days, they stopped talking and never talked to each other again. Yeah. And I was so fascinated, like how that happens. Like, how is there stuff that you didn't say over five years that would have eventually, I guess, ended the relationship? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I also love that show. Uh, when it first came on, I, I bought immediately about the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Because I, because I, I loved that documentary, and I followed the show for a long period of time. And uh, I think many have probably caught on to that by now. They're <laughs> probably due to the show. They're much, yeah. I, I would hope anyway, are much more cautious about who they engage with online. But yeah, I did. I, I do think that sort of the role of technology has changed the way that uh, individuals interact with each other and they're very comfortable to do it in online or through text messages. But then when they, when they, there's something about getting together IRL or in real life, right. That, that just changes things. And I don't know what that's about, but it's, it, it certainly is again, an opportunity to learn more about, how and maybe people are just more comfortable or more able to i don't know be themselves or hide the things that they don't like about themselves you know when they're not in person yeah for sure it's interesting i'm trying to get a study going right now that's kind of getting at like people who meet online and like what that process looks like because it's i think it's very fascinating to me like how you can go from like, how do you, first, how do you meet the person? And then like, how do you kind of go from there to like dating? But I think, and I think about um, uh, the uh, relationship education intervention uh, within my reach uh, by Prep Inc. Scott Stanley mm. and how um, in one of the activities that they do, they talk about red and green marbles and how uh, if we if we aren't put in a particular context with an individual, a potential romantic partner, say, then it's going to be much more difficult to red marbles, or in this case, those negative uh, traits that some of which might even be deal breaker for a relationship. And I think I think um, I. I I think that uh, online uh, relationship formation makes it much more difficult to discern the red marbles. Mm -hmm. And so by, in one way, uh, you know, the internet has really been good in that it's connecting people and giving us more opportunities. But at the same time, if we don't eventually meet up in real life and, and, learn about potential romantic partners in a variety of contexts then we'll be in yeah. for a surprise right yeah for sure uh any kind of wrap-up thoughts we're getting up on time here uh any wrap-up thoughts you have on the two movies or anything else that you wanted to make sure we talked about yeah I, one one other thought that i had was and this is one of the things that i do appreciate about the two movies is, is that uh, in real life things can get messy? Yeah, you know there are we there are emotions involved, and often in ambiguous situations and casual encounters, there are opportunities for for 
uh, emotions to be, you know, hurt. And, uh, and the research shows that, that, that individuals in, uh, can experience both positive, happy, uh, emotional reactions to casual sex encounters, friends with benefits or, mm-hmm. or hookups, say, for example, but that there also is a potential for the negative ones. And, and those are real. And I think, uh, and I, so I, it's good to see in movies that it shows that, that, that these, these relationships can get messy and that they can get complicated and that there can be some good aspects to it. Uh, but that there also are some potential drawbacks that, that people can get hurt. And the research shows that, uh, you know, in many instances, they are one-time experiences and, and people go into these encounters for different reasons. They attach different meanings to these experiences. And when those expectations or needs are not met, it, it can potentially be harmful, which uh, has, as research shows, has the potential to have long-term implications for health and well-being. Yeah, uh, and that and that sort of research line is still relatively in its infancy, but I think it's important to consider, you know, that there are both good and bad aspects to these experiences. Yeah. And the thing I'd like to add to that, too, is like in the movie, it was like all the good things happened and then all the bad things happened all at once when really like the messiness is probably like mixed in with the goodness, too. Right. Like there's it's probably more um, on a continuum and kind of like messy than it's 100 percent good at first and then it's 100 percent bad after a certain threshold that kind of happens in the movies a little bit. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But that, again, that's the structure of a rom-com, right? Like everything's great, everything's terrible, and then they get back together at the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it makes me also think about the movie with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn, um, The Breakup. Oh, The Breakup, yeah. You know, and and I love that movie. In fact, I show I show the the fight that they have after dinner. Um, mm-hmm in in my developing healthy romantic relationships class because because in this movie it, it shows it, the the messiness involved with the breakup and and yeah. one of the refreshing things about this movie uh is that they don't end up together at the end sorry if i'm uh ruining <laughs> <the movie. laughs> spoiler alert some, some people who haven't seen it but i, I think it's accurate the the you know, not everyone gets back together. Yeah. When I was watching that movie the first time, I was like, I was straight up angry. I was like, if they get back together, I'm going to hate this movie. But they don't. And I was actually, I was so expecting them to get together that it ruined me watching up to that point where I found out that the thing I was afraid of happening didn't actually happen. <laughs> so I've watched it again since, and I've enjoyed it a lot more. But like when I first watched it, I was like, they better not get back together. There's so much that's happened here. They can't just like magically fix it all. Yeah. Yeah. And they would have to, I mean, they would have to do some significant work. In There'd order have to be a to... sequel. Yeah. That's not an hour and a half movie. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if anyone would go see the sequel, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. If they just like, it's just them fixing things. Yeah. Them and therapy sessions. To right. Yeah. Their, their ability to communicate and not be vindictive towards each other. <laughs> not sure that one would sell many tickets, but yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Denzel and I have proposed lots of TV and movie ideas on the podcast. None of them have been picked up yet. No. So I don't know what's up there, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so if this one get picked up, we could we could expect to be upset. Yeah, because this one we didn't actually throw out there. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we usually end on something goofy or funny, and I haven't thought of anything. Denzel, do you have any ideas? Mm. Not off the top of my head. Do you want to sing us out? Who, me? Either one of you. I don't think it's Denzel, but... I, I don't know if the <laughs> listeners would appreciate me uh, singing us out. <laughs> they might choose not to ever listen to a podcast again if I start singing. That's fair. Appreciate, appreciate you not it. singing then. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening today. If you want to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily information about romantic relationships, or just want to learn more about Relevate, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myrelevate, follow us on Twitter at myrelevate, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash myrelevate. Special thanks to our producer and the composer of our opening music, Denzel Jones. See you next time.